Here in Illyria, we don't discriminate on gender. Girls with asses like mine do not talk to boys with faces like yours. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself, William Shakespeare. My name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he, him pronouns. And my name is Megan Charlow, and I use she, her pronouns. And today on Avant Bard, we are here to discuss the 2006 film, She's the Man, released by DreamWorks Pictures. She's the Man is a teen rom-com sports film directed by Andy Dickman. Dickman was a producer on films such as Hocus Pocus and would later direct the Academy Award-nominated Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. I am joking, it was not <laughs> nominated for an Academy Award. He was also the director of the Reefer of Madness musical TV movie, which I greatly enjoy, so you take the hits with the bads. The cheerleaders in this were the dancers from Reefer Madness. Well, there we go. Also, one of the writers for She's the Man is Karen McCullough, who is one of the writers for 10 Things I Hate About You. Sorry, but the disparity in quality of these two films is too great for you to have worked on both. Honestly, I wish there was more production info on this film, because I could not, in my research, find out why this movie was made, besides the fact that it was in a long string of teen rom-coms that came out in the mid-2000s. Which, like, once something becomes a trend, production companies just start making films that are a lot like the successful films that came before them. And this was just kind of in the middle of, like, your John Tucker's Must Die, your Mean Girls. Just your kind of, like, mid-level horny teen rom-coms in the mid-aughts. And the only reason I can see this movie being made is because it was just following a trend. As to why the filmmakers decided to make this an adaptation of a Shakespeare play, there is absolutely no article or interview I could find that explains the genesis of this film. Following the trend of teen rom-coms, my guess is that DreamWorks thought it would be money in the bank, and this film made $57 million off of a $20 million budget, so I guess it did work. Usually, a film doubling its budget means it is in the green with production companies. So it did its job. But what I really think makes She's the Man stand out is the film's leads. Which leads us right into Marquez's acting corner. Viola, as her name is pronounced in She's the Man, is played by Amanda Bynes who was a huge comedic actress growing up on Nickelodeon in the late 90s and early 2000s. She started her career in commercials and on stage until she was discovered and made a main cast member of All That, which is a sketch comedy show starring kids basically pitched as SNL, but for kids. 
That show also launched the career of Keenan Thompson, who is currently on SNL and is the longest running cast member of SNL at this point. Amanda Bynes later pivoted into her own show, The Amanda Show, which Megan and I remember very fondly and could probably go into many different tangents on sketches from that specific show. Off of The Amanda Show, she pivoted into a movie career starring in Big Fat Liar and What a Girl Wants before this film, and then later went on to do Hairspray and Easy A after this film. That kind of marks the end of her acting career. Unfortunately, in 2010, Amanda Bynes quit acting for a variety of reasons, one of which is some body dysmorphia that she started to experience because of She's the Man. She was interviewed in 2018 for Paper Magazine about quitting acting, and she cited hating her look as Sebastian in this movie as the start of why she decided to quit acting. We will link that in the episode notes if you are interested and want to take a look. The other actor I want to talk about is Channing Tatum. In that previously mentioned article, Amanda Bynes mentioned that she, quote, totally fought for Channing to get cast in that movie because he wasn't famous yet. He'd just done a Mountain Dew commercial, and I was like, this guy's a star. Every girl will love him. But the producers were like, he's so much older than all of you. And I was like, it doesn't matter. Trust me. Well, like, it's so obvious that he's so much older than them. Yeah, he was 26 when he filmed She's the Man, and everyone else is like 22 or 21 or 19 and those are some big formative years in body changes like oh yeah he looks like a man channing tatum started out in modeling and dancing in music videos and commercials and made his breakout roles in 2006 with she's the man and step up people thought he was a hot hot hottie which he was did you know that Step Up 2 stars the guy who played Justin in this film? Yeah, Robert Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Obviously, they loved working together and they were like, we gotta do Step Up 2, The Streets. Anyway, Channing Tatum has been in many, many films since She's the Man. He also produced the highly regarded Magic Mike about his days as a stripper before his acting career. Wait, that's like a true story? Yeah, it's based on his life. Did he go by the name Mike as a No, stri- no, oh, no, okay. no. He also, in 2012, won People's Magazine's Sexiest Man of the Year. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. He's also noted as being bisexual. i just like to point that out. I think we can close the gates on Marquez's acting corner. If we're in a corner... Are there gates? Do we move there? Is it like, what is the... Let's step out of the corner. Let's step out of the corner. You're implying that my acting corner is a... It's pretty shady. But before we get into She's the Man properly, I believe we should talk about the play that the film is based on. That's Twelfth Night, also called What You Will. Twelfth Night is a comedy thought to have been performed in 1601 or 1602 on the Twelfth Night of Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. It's not. And Twelfth Night also has nothing to do with Christmas. It just was called that because of the date it was performed. 
which we talked a lot about in our anonymous episode. It doesn't have nothing to do with Christmas. Okay, you're right. It's got music, it's got social mobility and hedonism, which is all part of the Christmas celebration dating back to Saturnalia and ancient Rome. I get it. The Catholics, like bringing trees in from outside and decorating them, took a lot of Christmas traditions from pagan and Roman holidays and just kind of mishmashed them up. And Twelfth Night really celebrates a lot of those ideals. Revelry. (laughs) Gender also plays a role in the play, as Viola still dresses up as a man, but not to impersonate her brother, more to put on a new identity named Cesario in a land she finds herself shipwrecked on. Because let's be real, back then, it's much easier to be a man. The play also has themes of pleasure and pain going hand in hand. This will all be discussed in further detail when we discuss the movie She's the Man, which let's get to discussing. First things first, I think the name She's the Man is based on the line in Twelfth Night. There's a scene where Olivia sends Malvolio after Cesario with a ring and is like, here's the ring that you gave my lady. She doesn't want it. And Viola, who Cesario's like, I didn't send her a ring. And then he's like, the ring from your master, your man, whatever, take it, go. And Viola slash Cesario's like, oh shit, I am the man. She wants me to have this. She's giving this ring to me. I'm the man. What do I do? Do we believe that, Megan? I do? I get your, like, through line of reasoning. Maybe Karen McCullough did that. Maybe that was, like, the one thing that she did and was, like... <laughs> they just, just called up Karen and they were, like, Karen, we want to do this Shakespeare thing. It's, like, Twelfth Night and soccer and, and she pretends to be a brother and she's just, like, oh, so, like, she's the man. And they're, like, whoa! And she's, like, you better give me writer credits. The title, like, evokes, in my mind, She's All That, which is a really famous teen movie. I want it to be deeper. I don't think that they thought enough about this in order to get to that point. Anyway, let's start the film. Roll the film, Megan. Roll the tape. Our first montage, which is a bunch of teens doing cool water skiing and playing soccer and cavorting. Such beach times. Yeah, everyone's happy. We see Amanda Bynes. She's top build. Good for her. So I was watching this and I was like, man, I really wish that they put character names during this because we've talked before about how helpful that is. Oh, it needs to be done in every movie. But then I realized there are only two characters in this scene that we care about by 15 minutes in. Well, no one says Viola's name for like the first 15 minutes. It's Amanda Bynes. It's Amanda Bynes. And, like, in the first scene, she's super good at soccer. We know because her boyfriend says, you're super good at soccer. You're, like, better than half the guys on our team. Is that it? There's a lot of teens kissing. We here on Avant Varn don't like teens kissing. I like a nice kiss. Like, okay. Magical Legend of the Leprechauns. Ten things I hate about you. Good amount of kissing. Perfect type of kissing. Yes. This is like, now we're going to make you watch two characters who are going to break up in like a scene. 
make out on a beach. And I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> no, we don't need this. I do have a question for you. Who's Justin based on? So, we will come to learn that in this film, breaking up is the same as family dying. So, Justin is her true father who's dead. <laughs> but both her parents are alive in this And fully film. well, they're just divorced. Her dad's kind of an ass. He doesn't show up until, like, the end. Yeah, and he's like, I had to cancel my squash game to support mm -hmm. my child. Fuck that guy. So, he's the dead parents? Yes? Okay. But also, she hates him instead of missing him. So, it's not the same. No. So then we cut to Viola's hanging out with all of her sports soccer gals. And they find out <gasps> their soccer program has been cut. Which, like, no one notified them? They no, didn't get an email? They didn't get a letter in the mail? Nothing. They just went to practice to find that they were cut. Their coach didn't tell them? Who is their coach? It is just a clumsy line given by a side character of just like, our team has been cut. What? No! And they complain because the boys have taken over their spot on the soccer field. So they go and confront the boy soccer coach. And he's like, Psh, girls can't play with guys. Men are strong and women are weak. Oh, those frail women. They're not powerful. They can't kick a ball as far as a man. I need to get into this for a little bit, Megan. Will you allow me this okay. allowance? Twelfth Night is about gender identity and the power and responsibility that gender roles place on you to act a certain way. What Twelfth Night isn't is about girl power and straw man sexist guys spouting absolute stereotypical phrases at girls of just like, you can't do this. You're not strong enough. Girls are weak. It sounds like schoolyard bullies concept of sexism and i get that it's a comedy but honestly this is bump 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 lazy so she's like but i'm really good at soccer even your like best player justin my boyfriend says i'm better than half the team and he goes i never said that i would never say that and the guys go sounds right He's pretty great. And he goes, no, we're done with this. I never said that. End, End of, of discussion. discussion. And she says, fine. End of relationship. And that's how quickly that relationship that apparently is very important to this film ends. He seems like he was never not a dick by the way he acts there. And then at no point in the rest of the film does he ever act like he was ever Good. He tries calling her at some point when she's lost her phone. We find out that he's been trying to call her. But like... And like talk to her and get back together. It's just there's no redeeming qualities to this person. And if... He's good at soccer. Oh. Like if you wanted me to care about Justin, you should have made it so that we actually felt like she was betrayed by him. Because Viola mentions how she feels betrayed. Because he doesn't 
believe in her and like treats her like a person but like that should be a surprise and because of the fact that it happens so quickly in the film it's not a surprise it's just lazy writing they should establish that they have a good relationship before this happens instead of just two lines at the end of a montage you're good at soccer thanks babe like super good at soccer thanks babe i never said you were good at soccer bye babe you basically summed up the first 10 minutes of this movie we also learn that they have a rivalry with another school which is called illyria their school is called Cornwall for a reason, which is that it's an English name. Marquez, do you want to know the real reason? Yes, please tell me. Was Cornwall ever mentioned in Twelfth Night? No, except in the 1996 Trevor Nunn film version of Twelfth Night, or what you will, the setting is in Cornwall, filmed on location in Cornwall. So you know what that did? made a bunch of people in the 90s and 2000s think that the place where Sebastian and Viola were from is called Cornwall in Shakespeare's play, which is never named. What? Yup. They never say any name for where they're from, but this movie in 1996 said, it's Cornwall, and people went, oh, it's Cornwall, yes, Shakespeare must have written that on a napkin somewhere. I'm taking off my mask, Megan. <gasps> Surprise, everyone. This is the play that I know the most about. I've directed it once. I've read it like four times. And I am currently directing a online podcast version of it. I know this play's text inside and out. You can't fool me, movie. This film just takes names of places in England and characters from the play and just puts them on characters. But these characters are not like characters from Twelfth Night. We'll get to that. Spoilers for She's the Man. But yes, so that's why Cornwall isn't just random. It's supposed to actually be a deep cut to Twelfth Night that isn't real and was made up by Trevor Nunn. So Viola goes home. She gets mistaken from behind by her brother Sebastian's girlfriend, who is the Shakespeare character, Monique. Uh-huh. The joke being that this is another character that just doesn't have any connection to Twelfth Night. And that's okay. It's okay to add other characters in modern versions. She's just incredibly important to a plot that doesn't happen in the play, but was added for the film. Also, I just want to say, super awkward that she thinks her boyfriend's sister is her boyfriend. Like, both of them should have been weirded out by that, and instead they were just annoyed with the other. Yep. I would have been like, ooh, yikes. Though we do get a great line where Monique is like, well, tell your brother to call me. But Viola goes, oh, does he have your number? What is it? 1-800-BIOTCH? I mean, it's pretty good for early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. That nails it. My only two questions are, one, she has a toll-free number? 
She's busy. Two. So you would spell it B-I-Y-O-T-C-H so you get a full phone number, right? So the joke does work. Yeah, no, the joke works. I'm not sure if it's an O or an A, but either way, the joke works. Okay. Viola then goes to her mansion of a house where we meet her mother. Should be dead. Should be dead. Isn't. It's fine. No. Instead, her respect for her daughter is dead. Because she wants her to be a debutante. And Viola is too feminist for that. And her mom's just like, no, but you and Justin need to go to the debutante ball. Megan, I would like to point out that this is the first time that your mocking girly woman voice actually is close to the character that you're mocking. I know, right? Viola tells her mother, soccer got canceled. Her mom isn't that sorry about that. Hell yes, you'll be a debutante with Justin, your boyfriend. And she's just like, well, that also isn't happening because we broke up. No, I want to f*** your boyfriend, Justin. I'm so sad. He's so hot. I love his young teen body all over my adult body. (laughs) Megan is making a joke, but also the lines are very similar to that in which she just mentions how handsome and young and fit her boyfriend is and viola goes well then you should date him and she tilts her head like she's considering it and then just like oh no i couldn't what yes you couldn't he is supposed to be a teenage boy what the fuck movie get out of here then viola goes upstairs megan i'm just gonna establish it Right here. Mm-hmm. It's Viola in this movie. My voice wants to say Viola. I'm just going to call her Vi, because they call her Vi in the film. Okay, we'll call her Vi in the Vi. film, and then we'll call her Viola in the play. Yes. So Vi goes upstairs and meets her brother, Sebastian. Who's hacking up and throwing his bags out the window because he doesn't want to get caught by his mom. Why? He's going to London. And he said that he's going to his dad's, which I'd be like, well, shouldn't he go to the front door and pretend that his dad's picking him up? Yeah. He's also supposed to be going to Illyria because he got kicked out of Cornwall. And so Sebastian asks Vi to cover for him in attendance by saying that he's sick or something. He doesn't give her a plan. Hey, can you just call my high school, pretend to be mom, and tell them that I'm sick for two weeks straight? But with not something that's super deadly, but something that's not nothing. I'm pretty sure at that point he'd need a doctor's note. Yes. That says, one, that he had to be out, and two, that he's okay to be near people again. Megan, I know this is usually your job, but him wanting to be a musician... We could connect it to Twelfth Night. Because there's music? Because music is a big theme in Twelfth Night. I'm grasping at straws, Megan. There is no music in Sebastian's plot. Sebastian gets on out of there. And Vi's mom comes in asking if she was talking to her brother. And she just does this like weird bit where she picks up a not working phone and then just goes like, oh, and then clicks it and it's like in front of her mother she picks up an already hung up phone (laughs) pretends to say goodbye on it and then hangs it up again yeah i know this is supposed to be comedy 
but it's bad comedy. But after Monique's comment and her mother being like, oh, you and Sebastian are so alike, you might as well be him. Vi gets an idea in her noggin. If you can't join them, beat them. So Vi goes to get her hair done. Okay. The point of this next scene is that she's getting a makeover to look like her brother at a salon. Yeah. Which would make me assume that she gets her hair cut short because that's what hairdressers do. And it's later revealed that it's a fucking wig. Well, 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 so he was, what, styling a wig and doing some basic makeup on her that whole time? Yes. So we're at the salon. Yes, and she goes up to her stylist, friend, relationship unclear, this hairstylist named Paul, who she just straight up asks to turn her into a guy. And he is very reluctant to do this because, let's be real, it is not the gender identity that is wackadoo. That's perfectly fine if you want to transition. What is wackadoo is the fact that you tell a human being, I want to impersonate my brother in his all-boys school. Can you please dress me up as a boy so I could go there, join their soccer team, fight against my school, and prove to them that I, a girl, can play soccer too? That is a wild plan. But everyone else in the salon, including a random old lady, think it's a great idea. So cue montage number two. The hairdresser drag king montage in which Vi follows guys around walking like them. And it's pretty funny because I think Amanda Bynes is a very physical comedic actress and she's doing a very good job. Also, I read, I'm not sure if it's true, that that scene of her following people and imitating them was actual random strangers on the street. Honestly? If that happened to me, I'd be happy to take some cash and be in a movie. Yeah. But we've established that she can do it. So she goes to the school and tells her mom she's staying with her dad. My only other question is, what is she doing about her attendance? Here's my thing. Like, does her dad live close? Like, is he still in the radius of Cornwall High? Good question. Here's the thing, if you're going to complicate the plot of Twelfth Night with stuff like this, I want answers to the questions. Normally, I'm not a person who, like, questions these type of things. But if you bring up the fact that you are covering for your brother's attendance and you decide to go on your own, I feel like I have it in my right to question, what about your schooling? Here's my other question. So Cornwall is a school where you commute. It's a regular high school, like a public high school, it seems. Yeah. But Illyria is a school where you have dorms, mm-hmm. and it's a private school where you don't commute from home. So would they be in the same soccer league? I feel like private and public schools... I mean, Megan, we don't know that Cornwall doesn't have dorms. Like, maybe they do stay in dorms at Cornwall, but we're just never there long enough to know well, and she's just well, visiting home? Well, Megan, it could be that they just went for soccer practice before school started because teams do that they get their practice in before the school starts for the year i guess so so i think that that's the logic that they want us to follow it's just weird to me yeah that's fair so anyway i would like to mention that vi's mom mentions that there is a debutante carnival fundraiser 
which will come back at a later date. Sounds wackadoo. That that's the thing that exists? Yes. I have no idea what debutante balls are like, Megan. They're all about being prim and proper and having good etiquette and being fancy and entering society. So going to a carnival with a bunch of hay and kissing booths does not seem debutante to me. So Vi dresses up as Sebastian and goes to Illyria. Paul drives her there. Yeah, they have a little spat about whether or not she can do it when she arrives. She gets nervous. She thinks everyone's going to know, but they still play some sexy boy music, which is weird. I also think that I could totally see where this made Amanda Bynes uncomfortable because they make a joke, basically, in that first moment of, like, sexy boy music. Oh, wait, it's Amanda Bynes in boys' clothes. She's not actually sexy. So there is a shot as she's walking through Illyria in which it's her POV and she's looking at people passing her and they're giving her weird looks. And this is probably the one, maybe there's more trans moment that I can glean from this film because it is definitely a scene of being afraid of being clocked. And it is from her point of view, which I think is very interesting but also this doesn't go anywhere. It's not really a trans narrative, which sucks, but it is something that I can get a little bit of analysis about, but this film doesn't go into it, so whoops. During that scene, Vi, as Sebastian, also passes a sign that says that Illyria High is performing What You Will. I'm gonna throw my microphone across the room, Megan. I hate that so much. You missed it. Why didn't they just say Twelfth Night or What You Will? It's not like it matters. It was just Shakespeare's head on a poster and it just said, What You Will. Megan. Here's the thing. If people at this school are doing Twelfth Night and a kid named Sebastian comes in and is acting kind of like he might be his sister Viola dressed up. There's a character called Duke Orsino. There's also a character called Olivia. There's also Malcolm Festes. There's also Ague Cheek. No one notices this? No one's like, wait a second. I feel like I'm in a weird dramatization of this. This brings up a very excellent point, Megan. In teen adaptations of Shakespeare that mention Shakespeare, is it ever weird that the connections are so clear? Does Cat's friend in 10 Things I Hate About You get that his name is Patrick Verona and her best friend's name is Cat and make any sort of connection? I don't think so. At least those names aren't the literal names. There's slight changes, so maybe you can miss it. But like, Duke Orsino. Yeah, it's a little much. With his best friend, Toby Bilch, and his other best friend, Ague Cheek. That's literally the name. It drives me crazy. Actually, I love this because now I want a meta horror movie where a theater kid starts noticing that the people in his school are following Shakespearean tropes and have similar names, but he makes the connection and he has to figure out what the fuck is going on. He's at that game at the end. That's the thing. If Shakespeare exists in universe, people should be recognizing this shit. There should be at least one character who's recognizing. And you don't even need to go into that, but just have one kid like giving a side eye, looking really (laughs) concerned in like five scenes. Just like kind of following, just like, or like holding the play and being like, what the fuck? 
back to Vi in her journey to becoming Sebastian. She goes into a boy's dorm and she's so afraid because the boys, they're just all over the place. So raucous. So raucous. What manly sportage in the halls. I have never seen a boy's dorm be this active ever. There are three different people playing catch in a dorm hallway. Some people are playing hockey. Someone's just like pushing someone on one of those little floor scooter boards from like elementary school. Yeah, it's... Maybe it's a skateboard. I don't know. Here's the thing. You don't need to throw spaghetti at the wall for your jokes. This isn't funny. I just like, I don't find this funny. I think it's strange. You could literally have one person toss a football and like... In front of her face. Yeah, and either the football almost hits or like they back up into her as they're catching it. Yeah. Just like one thing to be like, God, unsettling. Yes. This is unrealistic chaos. Yeah, realistically... The boys would just be in their dorms playing video games. That's literally my experience in the dorms. And like maybe a bunch of them are just like in their boxers because they don't give a shit. And she could see that and be like, "Uh Uh uh-oh. But she makes it to her room. She gets in the door and we turn around to see Channing perpetually shirtless Tatum. Listen, Channing Tatum's hot. I don't find him particularly hot in this film. That's because he's baby, which he should be because he's supposed to be a high schooler. But he's 26. Yeah. And he um has the mature face of a 26-year-old. Yes. And he introduces himself as, like we mentioned before, Duke Orsino. First name Duke, last name Orsino. Okay. It's fine. It's Vi, fine. Vi, apparently, Vi and Sebastian's last name is Hastings. Hastings. Like, Megan, did you find a connection with this one? No. No, it's just a, an, an English place. Please. Great. At least Cat Stratford was based on Stratford-upon-Avon, where Shakespeare was from. Yeah, like, all I can think is, in Richard III, Lord Hastings. Yep, named after a place. We also have in this room our previously mentioned Andrew and Toby. I want to mention that they exist because their sole purpose in this film is to be friends with Orsino, who are part of the soccer team, and they have something of a subplot. Remember when Duke Orsino was best friends with Andrew (laughs) Aguecheek, who was trying to court Olivia in Twelfth Night? I remember that, yeah. And Toby Belch was Olivia's uncle. And they were best friends? Yes, I remember that, Megan. Huh. I do want to mention that Viola talks to them about playing soccer and says the phrase, you also play the beautiful game? Like any man would say. I just want to call soccer the beautiful beautiful game. game. We also get the iconic tampon in the nose plot point. I will say, I think this is funny. I also think brilliant cover-up, Vi. Yes, so... As she's unpacking, Vi knocks over a boot that is filled with tampons. The guys question it. They freak out. Yes. Like teen boys do when they see a tampon. Yep. Let alone 17 tampons. And Vi covers it up by saying that she uses them for nosebleeds, as they are ultra-absorbent. Honestly, rightfully so, if someone told me that they put a tampon up their nose, 
I would think that they were rather strange. I would probably think that they had an actual bad medical condition that they should probably see a doctor for, like, excessive brain bleedage through the nose. Yeah, because, um, here's the thing. Tampons, um... Absorb a lot. A lot. See a doctor. That's fair, because that's a lot of blood. Long story short, they think that Sebastian is a weirdo. But it's fine. We're all gonna try out for the soccer team. Slash, make sure we're still first string if we're already part of the team. And there's one fat kid trying out, and the coach looks him up and down, basically being like, what are you doing here? And boy, howdy, do I just love fat phobia in my media. It makes me feel really good. I am especially mad because the director is a fat guy, or at least was during the filming of She's the Man, and it's just like, how dare you? How dare you betray me? There was a Shirts and Skins moment where Vi's like, I have to be shirts because I'm allergic to the sun, and then the coach gives a look to the fat kid again, like, well, obviously you're a shirt. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Why do they need to be divided into shirts and skins if they're just drilling? Yeah. They're not having a scrimmage against each other in this montage. No, it's just running drills. It literally is just for the joke and the conflict of, will she get discovered? Also, like, that threat is constant. You don't need to specifically do it this one. Yes. And again, I would like to mention, because it is important to me, this is not a plot in Twelfth Night. No! Phyla's never worried about being discovered. Yes. Phyla's conflict in Twelfth Night is the fact that she got herself into this uncomfortable situation where Olivia is in love with her and... She likes Orsino, but she can't do anything about it. And that's it. That's her conflict is just and like, that. I feel like she could be nervous about being caught, but it's just because then Orsino would know that she's lying. But that never comes up. You, yeah. there, there isn't even lines about it. Like, it doesn't worry her, which I think is better for a more trans narrative, is that the conflict isn't, I'm going to be caught the conflict is, well, how I've chosen to present myself has gotten me into this conflict, but it's not about being discovered. So I just wanted to say that because I think that that is a huge distinction between the two works, which makes She's the Man completely different. Speaking of being discovered, it's time to hit the showers. Whoops. Looks like someone forgot that every sports team has showers. Yeah, she didn't factor this in. She did not plan this well. No. But thank God, because the coach tells her, you got to go to the principal's office instead of showering. Why it needs to be right now and not after you shower. Horatio Gold, the principal, needs to speak to her immediately. It's Horatio because that is the name of a character in Shakespeare plays. He sings a little song for her. And he's like, I was a transfer student. You're just like me, young man. I like that he sings a song for her. Also, Horatio Gold is played by David Cross, who was in Arrested Development. Very funny there. Funny here. Funny man. He's funny. And he's his little song that he sings to Sebastian, pretty funny. I found myself endearing to this guy. Yeah, I was like, this is a nice, hands-on headmaster. Except we do get a bit where it's like, Vi needs to find Sebastian's file. 
looks at it, discovers that it's a really big file because he got kicked out of Cornwall for being a bad boy. She gets her binding. Well, because she thinks that she's been found out. So she starts yes. taking off the binding. Yes. The binder. Well, it's not even a binder. It's ace bandages. So she starts taking off the ace bandages wrapped around her. Be like, well, time to freaking But then come clean. he walks in. The she... ace bandage gets caught in the drawer as it closes. The drawer gets stuck. Oh, man. And it matters. None. None. Horatio takes out the file. Does nothing with it. It has made such a big deal that he needs to get the file and he doesn't look at it. So I'm like, what was the point of this scene? Because they wanted to do the thing of the binder gets caught. Yeah. And then they needed a way for the binder to get out so that Fi could leave. This movie is just, let's make bits and scenes. And then we find ways to resolve them because they have to end up being resolved. The movie's not going to end in 30 minutes. <laughs> That's my thing. It's like the conflict shouldn't be her getting caught because you know she's not. That shouldn't be your central conflict. Unless that is your only conflict. Yes. And then it's a whole thing about... But she also has to make the soccer team. Yeah, there's three conflicts. Yes. And we don't need her getting caught being one of the conflicts. Because it ends up also being, spoilers, completely unnecessary for the plot of the movie. Yeah. Vi Sebastian leaves and bumps into Olivia, who's carrying some papers. Vi, the worst actor of all time, apparently, is like, oh my god, I love your shoes. Oh my god, where'd you get them? (laughs) Olivia's like, wow, I'm in love with this guy. And I'm like, you're gay. Yeah, you're you're just gay. This is where I'm just like, you can tell that she immediately has an inkling towards Vi Sebastian. Yeah. By Bastion. Here's the thing. Yes, but it also is just so straight while being gay. Yeah, it's it's, it's just weird. weird. It is because I feel like the movie knows there is not a queer bone in this film's body. So anytime that anything queer could possibly happen. No homo, no homo, no homo. No homo, yeah. guys. But it feels like the film is actively doing it. Not, yes. Not like, if for some reason, it feels like the vibe of the film is actively preventing homoerotic moments. Even uh, though we've got a headmaster being like, ah, yes, hello, mingling with other students. Hmm, you probably want to stick your penis in her. Yes, this movie, like, Stop. this movie is at both points incredibly horny but very asexual at the same time because all of the horniness is presentational because it's always very blatant yes it's like here's a line that is obviously like look at that girl's butt yeah and it's never like you just kind of see someone ogling someone it always has to be heightened yes like if someone's ogling someone they're like ah Which I'm thankful for, again, because Uh, they're high schoolers. And I don't want them to be sexual, but it's just weird. Why put in the lines, then? Why charade as sexual teenagers? Yes. But yeah, Olivia's gay. That's my main takeaway from this scene. Is David Cross funny? Olivia, very gay. We cut to lunchtime, and Vi is just hanging out and trying to be one of the guys. If I was a guy at that table... I would be like, wow, I don't like this person. (laughs) We also learn, very important fact, that Duke once made Justin cry during a soccer game. Good. Wow, Duke's pretty great. Is that your inner Vi? 
Yeah. And here's my other thing. We also learn that Duke has a huge thing for Olivia. Accurate to the play, yes. And Olivia won't give him the time of day. Not because her brother and father just died, but because she was just broken up with. Yeah, she had a boyfriend who then went to college and broke up with her. That's what happens with high school relationships. No, but like it's fair. It's weird that the movie, you are correct, equates breaking up with someone as... My family's dead. Yes, because that does not contain the same deep emotional well. It's also because maybe if these relationships really meant something to these people, but we just get told about them. We're told not shown. Yes. And so it's like, well, okay, then these relationships obviously didn't matter. We meet Malcolm, Mm -hmm. who also loves Olivia and is a creepazoid. Yeah, he stares at her creepy and acts creepy. And she in no way, shape, or form is like, please leave. No, she's just like, haha, yes, my good boyfriend, Malcolm. Don't get it. Also, while we're on the line of things I don't get, I'm sorry. How can mature, toned, attractive Channing Tatum not pull an average blonde girl? Wow, that's a fiery shot at the actress playing Olivia. Like, she's pretty. But, like, Channing Tatum. Okay. Let's get if into it. If Channing Tatum was in my high school, even if I was like, Megan, let's he's get into a, it. an airhead, if he was like, I want to date you, I'd be like, what? Okay. But Megan, she just got broken up with. She's worried that he's just some sort of dumb jock. Yeah, so date him and find out. That's the thing. She doesn't give him the chance. Yeah, this movie shows us that if someone talks to him for like a second, he's sensitive. Yeah. He, like, doesn't really hide that from people he cares about. So, like, why not just give him a conversation? You know what this reminds me a lot of? It reminds me a lot of Amazing Spider-Man. When When it's, like, Andrew Garfield, attractive Andrew Garfield, could never date a girl. Peter Parker. What a nerd. He just skateboards down the hall. He's a photographer. And I'm like... Has nice hair, pretty handsome face, abs, nice lean butt. There is nothing about Andrew Garfield in the Amazing Spider-Man movies that wouldn't have 10,000 girls have a crush on him. He's in a school in Queens. Those girls would be like, oh my god, Peter Parker? He thinks he can't pull Gwen? The movie insinuates that he's a loser yes they're like uh, people go beat up peter parker and i'm like people would want to worship him <laughs> yes and, and yeah that's how i feel about channing tatum except in this film people do worship him and it's just this olivia like he's an airhead well have you ever spoken to him no, no. But he plays soccer you know the dumb sport megan i think you mean the beautiful game that's the other thing though <laughs> soccer players they're never really shown as jocks in most things. Like, they are athletes, and I don't know why. That's a very interesting point. Football players, dumb jocks. Baseball players can be dumb jocks. Basketball players, dumb jocks. Soccer players, you magnificent athletes. The beautiful game. The beautiful game. To close out the scene, Vi as Sebastian understands where Olivia's coming from because she mentions how she just got through a bad breakup herself. Her father also died. Yes. Is this our, like, she sat there, like, patience on a monument smiling at grief scene? Yeah. Is that this? Yeah, it is. Okay. 
I hate that. So yeah, yeah this is the scene where where Cito just is like, women can't love as much as me. And Cesario in Twelfth Night goes like, uh, women can feel really strongly. I had a sister who loved someone and she just kind of never said anything. And she just kind of sat there longingly. So that's what Vi is doing here. Except like, not as well. Yes. And the boys just go like, bye, and they just leave. Because boys can't talk about feelings. It's illegal. It is a legal red card. Finally, Dirty Dirty Vi is going to shower in... The communal showers in her dorm? That's all they have is like a gym's communal shower with like no barriers? That's whacked. You would get sued. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you'd get sued if that was the case in a high school. Yes. Then Malcolm comes in and surprises Vi as she's taking off her ace bandages. And she's like, oh no, I'm caught. And Malcolm goes, you're not wearing flip-flops. Red card, Megan. Red card. You need flip-flops in the communal showers. Which I would like to state I agree with. Yes. Except they say you don't need it when you're in the actual shower, which I disagree with. You should have it all the time all in the, the bathrooms. Time. Because- Slip you one foot out of it, wash your foot, put your foot back into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get warts. Yes. So then Malcolm introduces himself fully to Sebastian Vi, and we find out that his full name is Malcolm Festes. So this is a combination of Malvolio, Olivia Stewart, and Festy, the communal fool that everyone knows and communal loves. Communal showers, communal fool. Two characters that make no sense to ever combine because they hate each other. Yeah, diametrically opposed forces, Megan. That is Batman and the Joker. An unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Hi, I'm Bat-Jokerman. Nice to meet you. That's basically what's happening. Hi, I'm Bruce Joker. Welcome to Gotham High. Here's the thing. Malvolio, perfect character for an RA. Festy, worst character to be an RA. There is no Festy analog in this movie, and that is a travesty. You could have some pothead, ukulele-playing hippie character. Who just, like, points shit out. And that'd be fine. And makes jokes. It doesn't need to be anything else. Why combine these concepts? It's not even combined because this character has like nothing to do with Festy. No, they just put the name in, which is what's so infuriating. Yes, it's wild and I hate it. However, yelling about someone for not wearing shower shoes slash flip-flops, very Malvolio. Most Malvolio thing of this entire film. Yes. Oh, I have another moment, Megan, later on. Oh. We'll we'll get to it, but I like it. Uh Uh-oh, here comes Duke, also to the shower. Vi's just going to be a dirty, dirty girl all night. Yep, because these are communal showers. And Duke does a little towel flap to Malcolm, which one, awkward. I don't feel like their relationship's there. Two, Orsino would never do that to either Malvolio or Festy. Orsino doesn't say one word to Malvolio in Twelfth Night. They don't interact. I don't think he completely knows that Malvolio exists. He does at the very end. Yes. That's it. Anyway, it's just wild that this is the direction that they choose to go. All sad and dirty, Vi goes to sleep, where she has a nightmare about wearing a debutante dress, fancy, floofy dress, and playing soccer, and oh no, it's actually a very nice dress. Oh, really? 
It's the best dress of the ones that her mother showed at the beginning. Oh, okay. It's my favorite one. Okay. It's a metaphor, Megan. For being a girl and playing soccer? Yes. Do you get it? By them showing her wearing a dress and playing soccer? Yes, because that's normally not something that you would do while playing soccer. It's something that a girl would wear. Megan, all I'm asking for, Megan, all I'm asking for is a little bit of nuance. That's all I want. I want just a little bit of trusting me. I want the movie to trust me to understand that this is something that she's worried about. Considering that's all they keep telling us. Yes. They could drop her being worried about this for the rest of the movie, and I've been told enough times. That I know that she's worried. Yes. She's woken up from this unnecessary nightmare by getting water poured on her. Because the soccer team is hazing the new people. Marquez? I know that neither of us were sports ball players. Nope. But did you ever hear of high school teams hazing their players? No, no. That's a frat thing. Yeah, but there's also a private school. I don't think that they'd haze people, though, especially right before one of the most important games. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't matter. It's just another thing for them to go, okay, everyone, we're all in the showers now. Every guy get naked. It is only so we have another moment where Vi thinks that she's going to get caught. The scene before this scene? We've had this moment happen. Yes, Megan. Literally the last scene had this in the same location. Yes. It's okay, guys. Vi escapes. She pulls the fire alarm and books it out of there. So then she calls Paul and says that she wants to quit. Because everyone thinks that she's a weirdo and that she's never going to make it actually into the soccer game. Yeah, because she... That was her plan. And we never mentioned she got second string. So she's not going to be playing. She'd be sitting on the bench. But Paul... Has a clever idea. No, 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 little Miss Vi. We'll just make all the guys think you are unto a god in the lady department. So they go to a pizza place. They set up a whole deal. You remember that time in Twelfth Night when Cesaro gets coached on how to pull ladies so that everyone knows that he's a hot, hot man? There's the cut scene. I don't know if you know. Mm. You know how uh, in Twelfth Night, Viola and Valentino have this conversation about how she's been here for three months and already is best friends with Orsino. Mm-hmm. That's been happening those three months. Oh, okay. Okay. The sea captain from the beginning helped her out. Makes sense. And Orsino was like, wow, what yeah. a god among men. Yes. The whole point of this scene in the movie is that Via Sebastian is going to, in front of all the cool soccer bros, encounter a bunch of women who are Vi's actual friends who pretend to have had, oh, such relations with Sebastian. And, yes. oh, I just wasn't woman enough for you. Over and over and over again. Yeah. So that all the guys go, wow, look at all the booty Sebastian's gotten. Maybe we were wrong about Sebastian. He's not weird. He's sexually active. That totally changes their viewpoint on him. I know a lot of people who are really weird in high school who had a lot of sex. People still thought they were weird. Yeah. I actually like how close these girls get to each other via her friends, I mean. Just because I think that's like it's a little injection of gay. 
because they're not shy about they're touching like, each other. Smack yeah. my butt quick. Yeah, and I think that that's just fun, like, that they're not, like, the guys and that they're more willing and open to be fake sexual with their friend. I just think that that's really cool of them. I mean, in my experience, as someone who was a teenage girl, it's pretty accurate. But the guys think that she's all that. They they, they think that Sebastian Vi is cool. And then Monique shows up. Oh, no. Monique, the real Sebastian's girlfriend? Yes. And sees Sebastian. But Vi can't be seen as Sebastian because Monique would know that it's not Sebastian. Sebastian. Once they were close enough. So Vi runs through the pizza place saying, girl, we're not together anymore. We're not together. I hate you. you. Side note. I don't know what the hell this accent is. That is Sebastian's accent in Vi's mind. And so eventually Vi dumps a bunch of pizza boxes onto Monique. Completely humiliates her. Makes her cry and everyone cheers because... Fuck that girl for wanting to talk to her boyfriend. Like, listen, I don't like Monique, but that's fucked fucked up. Maybe Monique is Malvolio, Megan. Maybe this is Malvolio getting put into a dark room and bound because this is super humiliating. Honestly, it's not supposed to be, but I think... And we can make that connection. We can make that connection. It is a very similar feeling. A very embarrassing moment. She's being embarrassed in front of a bunch of people. Who laugh at her. Some of whom know what's actually going on. Yep. But the bottom line is she's humiliated and made to feel like a fool. That sucks. I feel bad for Monique. I do too. She's got some great lines. Like the line that I opened the episode with, that's in this scene. Gold. In fact, Megan, I would just like to say that the character of Monique was originally supposed to be a lot smaller, but that the actress read her lines so funnily that they put more of her into the movie. Hell yeah, girl. (laughs) I have to give props to that so now we cut back to illyria vi is king of the castle as it were and is now getting requests to help these boys get with the girls that they want so they sit down for their first science class and they get partners what how does olivia know you vi sebastian oh we just bumped into each other what she gave you the nod she gives good nod. So Vi Sebastian gets Olivia as a partner, and Duke gets Eunice as a partner. I've got a good feeling about this Eunice. So Eunice is this, like, nerdy girl in braces and headgear, and Toby mentions, like, I think she's kind of cute, and everyone makes fun of him. But, like... She's intense. She's intense. But I, I don't know, I just am endeared to her right away. Another thing I'd like to mention is that Vi's cell phone goes off in class and it's the Barbie girl song as a ringtone, which is a just a bad joke of just like, what a girl, what a girl. But also like, you didn't think this through. You didn't think any of these things. No, here's my other thing. You're in class. Your phone should be silenced or off. This school doesn't care about cell phones, apparently. But anyway... Duke is really jealous that Vi Sebastian is partnered with Olivia. Andrew has a good line here where he tells Duke in response to this unfortunate circumstances, some guys just walk in the light, you know, (laughs) which I just kind of love. 
Some are born great. <gasps> Some guys just walk in the light. Got it. Some are born great. I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. Well, here's my second good Malvolio line. So Olivia and Sebastian start talking, and Olivia notices some paper in Vi's bag. And just takes it out like yeah. a snooping bad person? Yep. Why do people like Olivia? Continue. And it's lyrics to Sebastian, Sebastian, real Sebastian's songs. And she thinks that they're very deep, even though we get to hear like two lines from them. But Malcolm says, no paper near the Bunsen burner and grabs it. And I'm like, another good Malvolio-esque line. Because you shouldn't have paper near the Bunsen burner. That's dangerous. But Olivia's like, you sing? That's so attractive. And Malcolm's like, I sing. I'm in your tree watching you as you're changing. I hide in the bushes taking pictures when you don't see. Like literally lyrics similar to that. So here's the thing. You try to make me like Malcolm by giving him these lines, and you just take it away from me by making him an uber creep. Here's the thing. Malvolio does get tricked into thinking that Olivia likes him, and maybe he's harboring feelings about her before that point in Twelfth Night, but he in no way, shape, or form acts like a creep until he thinks that she's in love with him. And even then, it's not to that point. It's like he kisses her hand. Yes. And he's like, don't you like my stockings? And things like that. Like, he it's... does advance on her. But he's not stalking her. But he also is under the impression that she wants it because of the letter. Yes, he thought that he had expressed permission and, like, a request. Because that's what the letter that Malvolio gets sent says, is that I want you to do this. So by translating that character into just a super creepazoid... Don't like it. It's a complete disservice to Malvolio. The best character. Well, I'm just going to say it. Best character in Twelfth Night. Best character in Twelfth Night. I think Festy is, but okay. Well, you would. But yeah, why does Olivia allow Malcolm within 100 feet of her? Because it's a comedy. Bullshit. Dislike. Okay, let's move on. Orsino, recognizing a good opportunity, asks Vi Sebastian to talk him up to Olivia in exchange for soccer lessons. A good plan. Yeah, he says, if you help me get a date with her, I will make sure that you are playing in that game against Cornwall. So we get another montage of them training and Vi's kind of falling in love with Arsino. And this movie's like 50% montage, apparently, because they just have a bunch of them. But I have something to state. I think that this movie has the benefit of taking the time of having Duke and Vi hang out. And we get to see that whereas the play Twelfth Night, Viola has fallen in love with Duke Orsino in the scene that they first talk to each other, which is not great. but I think it works better in She's the Man. Though, I hate that Vi starts ogling Orsino in the locker room. She's just leering at him. Yeah, she's becoming a creepo. Like, listen, I'm all for female sexuality. I think that women should express their sexual desires more in media because they don't really get to that But I also think in reality... 
people should not openly ogle people who are naked, not to show them that they're naked. Yes, and also, you are presenting yourself under false pretenses to this person, which is assaulty. Megan, I need to talk about it. Okay. This film, I think, uncomfortably touches on the idea of trans people tricking straight people into falling for them but opposite wise like it touches the subject because what transphobic straight people fear is the idea that a trans person won't disclose their trans identity to them and that they'll discover that they're trans and that they've tricked them the other thing that transphobes mention is like basically this scenario of a trans person will go into a locker room of their gender identity and they're actually just straight people and they're going to use it so that they can assault and harass and ogle people. And this movie does not delve into that. It does not touch that. But I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up because I feel like this is something that she shouldn't be doing. Yeah. She is breaching consent. If I found out that this happened in a place where the sole purpose was she wanted to be a part of the soccer team. I'd be like, she fell in love with this person and lied to them and all of that. And I would say that like, wow, she kind of sexually assaulted him by making him uncomfortable in that situation. And I would hate for anyone to put that upon trans people. Exactly. And like, Vi might be our main character, but I don't think she's a good person. No. And it's very important to call that out when you see it. This situation would never happen. Yes, that's the main thing. It's like, this is a made-up fantasy scenario. It's but just crappy. This part where she falls in love with him under these circumstances is kind of fucked up. But it also, I don't want us to say that and appear transphobic because we do not think that trans people do this sort of thing. <laughs> And I will close the book on that. And we will move on to this absolutely bad teen comedy from the mid-aughts, which didn't have the language and the current social knowledge that we have in 2020. So we go to Malcolm's room. And he wants to discover what makes Sebastian tick. And his entire dorm room, since he's an RA, he has his own, is covered in creeper photos that he's taken of Olivia throughout her day-to-day -day life. He has an Olivia pillow. He's fucking terrifying. Go run. I would just like to say that the only redeeming part of the scene is that he does have a pet spider named Malvolio that he talks to. And let me say, don't like Malcolm, do like Malvolio the spider. Tarantulas are good. I think Malvolio deserves a better life. Megan... Take that spider, raise it as your own. I would. We have a very short scene that, once again... Betrays the very idea of putting on a wig, Megan. Here's the thing. In the next scene, Vi Sebastian is like, wow, my wig's so itchy, sitting alone, and starts scratching and moving the wig around a bunch. Obviously, that would mess up how the wig is sitting, and would make Vi's natural hair start peeking out because the wig is not applied with a wig cap or any sort of wig lace or glue. But I digress. The headmaster sees Vi doing this, sees the wig moving, and goes, Ah, hello, son. You have male pattern baldness. Come out of the closet as a baldy. 
And once again, we have a weird reference to homosexuality and queerness that is completely thrown in as a joke and not actually examined. Yeah, it is the straightest way you could be delivering that line, and it's wild. That's really all there is to say about it, because that's all they do with it. It's just weird. Yep. I wish that they had done more with the possible queer narrative of this film, as we keep saying. So in the next scene, we're back in science class. Malcolm is passing out a flyer because Malvolio the spider has gone missing. And so Vi finally brings up Duke to Olivia during the science class. Olivia says, Duke's not the guy for me. Wink, wink, bat eyelashes. Olivia goes, you know, you're the only guy in this school who hasn't tried to date me. And Vi's like, yeah, because I don't want to. I feel like with the way that Vi Sebastian acts and feels around Duke Orsino and the way that Vi totally pushes Olivia off, no one in this film ever assumes that Vi Sebastian might be gay. And to me, that doesn't doesn't check out because I don't mean to be an asshole, but like nobody suggests that the guy who is really into Duke Orsino hangs out with him all the time. And doesn't want the girl that everyone wants. And has very performative heterosexuality to the point where everyone else mocks Vi for having. Like Vi always is just like, Hey, bro, what about that girl? Ain't she a hot mama? Like, it's supposed to be played off as jokes, but it's like, that is a very insecure person that you are presenting, and you also always look like you are in love with Orsino. So I'm just saying, I know that the movie probably didn't want to go there, but I think that it would be an interesting thing to do if Sabat, like, why not just say, like, oh, but I'm not into girls. Just to, like, get her off your case. But it's because she doesn't also want to, I guess she doesn't want to, like, ruin Sebastian's reputation. Because he's going to come back. Well, it's also, she doesn't want people to think that she's gay because then they won't hang out with her. Yeah. Wait, here's my question. What is Vi's end game? Just to win the game of soccer? Well, and also now date Duke. Duke. So here's the thing. How I think in real life this conversation would go. Hey, you're the only guy who hasn't flirted with me. Yeah, sorry, you're not my type. Oh, dot, dot, dot. Are you gay? And then it could be, no. oh, no, sorry. It's just, I just had a bad breakup or something. The only reason it's not that, Megan, is this movie was made in 2006. But here's the thing. That's what was happening in 2006. That's what drives me crazy. I lived in 2006. I was around high school age. And that is exactly when people were going... Oh, this person said this or dressed this way or acted this way. They must be gay. I know. Constantly. I I know. I'm sure that the movie just didn't want to bring it up because they wanted this movie to be straight as an arrow. But like you're dealing with Twelfth Night, arguably the queerest Shakespeare play. And you have decided that everyone is straight. That is what you have decided. Except for Paul, because we all know Paul is gay. It's messy. I just don't like it. It's both unrealistic and cowardly. It bothers me. Yep. And Vi passes out because... uh, They're dissecting. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Amanda Bynes is great. 
Honestly, I will say this. As much as I complain about the writing. Oh, Amanda Bynes is a great actor. Yep. She's like, great. She's just great. She's a national she treasure. Saves, she saves this movie, honestly, for me. So in the next scene, we get a nice moment between Vi and Duke where they connect because Duke doesn't know how to talk to girls at And Vi's just trying to help him reach his inner self. And I'll pretend to be a girl and you can pretend to flirt with me so you can get practice. Yep. And since I'm so good at getting tail. Yeah, that I will help you. I think that Duke is really cute because he's tongue tied. I think that that's a very endearing feature. I think Channing Tatum plays it off well. It like shows a vulnerability, which is This is for the gals and the gays. A kind of buff boy showing that he's vulnerable. Mm, That's the good shit. Here's my thing. This scene is almost exactly like a scene. Not from Twelfth Night, but from As You Like It. I will pretend to be your love. You will woo me. We will teach you how to speak to girls. Duke Orsino in She's the Man is way more Orlando from As You Like It than he is Orsino from Twelfth Night. Because guess what? Orsino is not a himbo. Orsino is not a sports player. What is Orlando from As You Like It? A wrestler. Orlando is a wrestler. Who cares a lot. Really likes the girl. Yes. Just wants to write her poetry and post it all over the world. Yes. Orsino sends a person to talk to the girl for him. Yes. He sends a note delivered by someone else across the lunchroom saying, will you date Orsino? Yes. Viola's pretending to be a girl. So Viola's being Viola. So she just uses her real voice. And Duke's like, whoa, it's kind of spooky. You sound a lot like a girl. And Vi goes, oh, well, you know, I just used to imitate my sister a lot. And I don't feel like that's a typical guy thing. I feel like that's pretty queer sounding. Oh, Megan. Yeah, that's uh, that's what we call a moment that when you are queer and you come out that you've realized in your past. Wow, that was a big... Uh... When your family's like, yeah, we kind of figured. Why? Yeah. Well, you always imitated your sister. It's that like joke that was going around where it was like, well, he can't be gay. He liked women in TV growing up. The women I liked in TV. The Hex Girls from Scooby-Doo. Like, it's like that, where it's just like, yeah, um, I like powerful women because that's kind of what gay boys like. They like the powerful woman that gets the guy and is sexually open about liking guys. So that's basically what that moment is. But still, no way that Vi Sebastian could be gay. No. They talk about cheese. I like that moment. Talk about anything. Like what? Cheese? <laughs> Do you like cheese? Yes, I like cheese. Good is my favorite. It's a nice moment of yeah. like jokingly connecting. I like this scene. I think this is the first truly good scene. Which is kind of rough because we're more than halfway through the film. Yeah, this is like the scene I think that works the most because it has both leads connecting to each other. And I think that it works and that they are connecting. But then a spider shows up. <laughs> Malvolio. Just like Malvolio, to ruin the relationship between Cesario and Orsino. Nope. They jump on the bed, they scream, and then they like... Hug each other. And then they turn their faces towards each other. It's like, ooh, they're close enough to kiss. Ooh, no homo. 
I get that the homophobia is accurate for two teenage boys, but here's the thing. The movie actively cuts off their homoerotic moment of them connecting in this disguise, which makes it so that Duke has a nice handy out that the film gives him that he doesn't need to get intimate with another boy. Yeah. So then Vi's mom calls and leaves a message for Sebastian saying that he and his sister Viola need to go to the carnival fundraiser that I mentioned earlier in the episode. See, I brought it back. It's actually a plot point that was necessary. And that now it turns out that Vi has to be at the carnival and so does Sebastian and Duke says, I'm also part of that debutante ball thing. I am going to be there too. And so is Olivia. What a development. But then we go there and literally everyone we've ever met is there. Yeah. Every character that has ever been named or just shown to us for an extended period of time is there. Toby, Andrew, Eunice. I don't get it. Everyone's involved in this debutante ball thing. Yeah, it matters not. It's a charity carnival? I don't get it. Yep. And Olivia's going to be part of the kissing booth. So Arsino gets excited. Oh, Duke's like, I'm going to kiss her. I'm going to spend money to kiss her. And Viola also is part of the kissing booth. So we come to a series of scenes where Vi has to change in and out of her disguises, sitcom style, in wacky ways, and interact with all the characters that we've met before. and. She's afraid of getting caught, obviously, and it's the same shit that we've seen. She's got to hide from Monique in a bouncy house. She's got to change so that she can do the kissing booth in spinning cup rides in public that everyone could fucking see her changing. I don't get it. Yeah, she changes in a porta potty. It's unrealistic. I get it. It's fake. It's a movie, It's a comedy. It's a comedy, (laughs) and this is done for comedy, but I can't imagine how bad that dress smells. But here's the thing, Megan. We've had jokes like this before. We keep having jokes like this. It is, again, lazy. She does get to have a confrontation with Justin, though. Because Justin's like, I've been calling you, Vi. I want to get back together. She's like, I don't give a shit. And he's like, can't you just be a girl for five seconds? And she counts down to five while telling him off and then slaps him across the face. Mm-hmm beautiful moment yeah and i like that she doesn't just say like five words and then slaps him she actually counts down she gets more in there than five words and oh no she's gotta run to the kissing booth it's her turn to take over for olivia right as duke is coming up he doesn't get to kiss olivia he has to kiss viola megan i've heard of kissing booths i've never been to a place with kissing booths i feel like it's not legal have you ever been to a carnival with a kissing booth, Megan? No, only if it's a dog. Yeah, that's fine, because it's like, oh, I get to kiss the dog on the, like... The dog this... licks my cheek, and yeah. I'm happy, and here's money for your fucking carnival. Yes, but, like, the idea of... Pay money to anyone of any age, kiss this young girl. Underage girl. She is underage, and, like, old men are kissing her. Like The line is mostly children and old men. Both want to kiss this teenage girl. Again, I'd like to say, this joke isn't funny. It's terrifying. Yes, and like, when Vi comes to her rescue, her rescue, she's literally like, thank God I'm done. 
Yeah, she doesn't want to do it. And this is so terrifying to me. Girls, just don't do it. Don't allow them to make you kiss strangers if for you, money. If you want to, go, go for it. Go for it. But if you don't, please don't let them make you do that. Also, it's coronavirus. This also gave me hives just watching it just because I know that like she's kissed like 20 people already. And it's like, girl, watch out. So Vice switches in. Mm-hmm. Duke comes up and is upset, but then they start, like, kind of flirting, and then this kid in line, who's probably, like, ten? Yeah. Is, like, you don't need to flirt with her, you're paying for it. Yeah, they make a sex worker joke, and it's wild. Why does this kid have this idea? Also, hey, maybe if you flirt with your sex worker, you'll both have more fun and enjoy it. So fuck you, little child. You don't even know what it's like. I don't get it. This is a wild. I literally just paused in my brain and went, writers? Why? Why did you make a small child make a sex worker joke? So they kiss. They have chemistry, obviously. It's pretty good. I like a good kiss. I do like that he's just like, oh, I think that that's enough for... Yeah, he's like, okay, there's your kiss done. And she's like, no, 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 one more. You get one more. <laughs> you get one more. Okay, it's they've cute. got chemistry. It's fine. But then Justin comes in and is like, what are you doing with my girl, bro? She's not your girl, bro. And then they start fighting and I'm like, okay, but literally, Justin, you guys haven't been dating for weeks. Both she's just- not answering your calls at all. Both Justin and Monique refuse to accept being dumped monique i understand because she didn't get dumped by her actual boyfriend yes and she probably was like this doesn't seem like how he'd do this yes but they both refuse to accept somebody's broken up with them she doesn't know that she got tricked into being dumped right but she handles it poorly yeah but like justin is like pissed off that she's kissing someone at an event that she's being forced to yes. do, where I'm sure she didn't get to pick what she was assigned to, yes. because I don't think Vi is the kind of person who would sign up for the kissing booth. And, like, they're not dating. Just because she's kissing an attractive man in the thing that she's forced to do doesn't mean you have a right to punch him. So they have a big brawl. They knock over a popcorn cart. I feel bad about the popcorn that's wasted, because I don't like wasted food. My popcorn juice! Good, 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 good Atla reference, man. And then they get yelled at for being uncivilized at this carnival event. Carnivals are civilized. The most civilized. The most civilized. The epitome of etiquette. This is a carnival. No riffraff at a carnival. We are civil. No frivolity here at the carnival. Leave. You are banished from from the the carnival. The most proper place in the world. So now that she's kissed him, Vi is really into Orsino now. Oh, it's gotta happen. And now Orsino is kind of in to Sebastian's sister, Viola. Okay, here's the thing. He's been into Olivia for a long time. He actually knows her. Years. Years. He meets a girl, says two sentences to her, kisses her two times, and is like, maybe she's better than Olivia? What? I think it's supposed to be that his chemistry with Sebastian Vi is translating into his feelings for Vi. But here's the thing. That's not how Twelfth Night goes. No, and that's not how the world goes. Yes. 
The world doesn't go, I really like this person's brother, so I'm really attracted to his sister. No. And, like, Vi is like, yes, 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 be into Viola. And I'm like, so you know that that would mean that he'd only like you because of your looks, really. Yeah. Because he doesn't know that you're her. But I will say, Duke Orsino in She's the Man is better, much like Patrick Verona in Ten Things is better than the source material. Not to that extent. No, that's a huge <laughs> that's a huge gap. Yes. He's just slightly better than Orsino. Yeah, I mean Orsino's boring. Yeah, Orsino goes around and says, "My love is so deep, women could never love this deep." And it's kind of sexist. Yes. And Viola puts him in his place in Twelfth Night. And here, Duke Orsino's just kind of like a dumb guy who doesn't know how to talk to girls and is just wooed one way or another by a pretty face and it it makes him better again i think it makes him a little bit more orlando orlando's a better character than orsino i'm absolutely getting romeo vibes from him right now though where he's like i have loved this girl for so long wait that girl's kind of cute yeah forget the old girl i guess i agree and we get another soccer montage because the coach needs to notice that Sebastian is getting better and gives a wry nod from the sidelines. Also, Malcolm is in the bushes taking pictures of them. The idea that Malcolm will discover that Viola is pretending to be Sebastian because he's trying to figure out how Sebastian got Olivia's attention is very weak. It's also creepy. He's so creepy. It's bad. I keep saying it. Speaking of creepy, we then cut to the next scene where everyone is in the gym working out and Vi is checking out Duke weightlifting and not actually working out herself, which is a bad creepo thing to do at the gym. Don't do this in the gym. Do not stare at other people in the gym. And then he is like, oh, maybe I'll ask Viola out. And Viola's like, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you got to do it. Do it right now. Call her right now. Call her right now. You're right there, though. Like, he'd notice. Yeah, Maybe calm down. don't have him call you right now because you're right next to him. What the fuck? Are you an idiot? And then the coach comes up and hands Vi a uniform and says, you're first string. <gasps> you're in the game. She got what she wanted. They're like, yay, hug. Congrats. And then Vi gets way too into the hug and starts creeping her hand down Duke's back and then touches his butt. Which is a no-no for any human. That is not okay unless you are in a relationship with that person where that is... Your established Established thing. that it's okay. It's actually also not okay in a public place because you are being sexual in a public place where no one else consented. Also, they're in school. I don't get this school. The thing that drives me even more crazy is right after that happens, we cut to Olivia, who is just watching Sebastian, and is like, wow, look at that guy fondle that other guy. He's so great. Again, why doesn't nobody think Sebastian is gay? Why doesn't Duke be like, are you into me? Because you just grabbed my ass. He just kind of like... He's like, ha, what a weird accident. No. No. That's literally impossible. And then Olivia's friend, who we've never met before, gives her the idea that she needs to make Sebastian jealous by flirting with Orsino, which for some reason, this suggestion turns Olivia 
from a nice girl who's just innocently going about her day to a, a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, a manipulative asshole who is willing to use other people to get what she wants. And I will say, Olivia and Twelfth Night never does this. No. Olivia and Twelfth Night's conflict is she doesn't want to feel feelings because her family died. And then this person who came in is making her feel feelings and is rejecting her. She's never been rejected in her life and she doesn't know how to deal with. So she's going to try many different things to get Cesario to like her. That's her character. That's honestly where her conflict ends. And this is like, yeah, but what if Olivia was a manipulator? <laughs> you said Duke is better than Orsino. Yes. This Olivia in this film, so much worse than real Olivia. Yeah. She is a terrible person. And it's infuriating because for the first, what, two thirds of the film, she seems like a perfectly nice girl who just, you know, is having a rough time right now and just doesn't like the guy who likes her. She, she isn't written enough, Megan. That's really what it comes down to, is that they didn't give her enough of a character besides being an object of an affection. And then she just, for plot reasons, needs to complicate the love triangle, which again, I will state, Twelfth Night does not go into this much of a complication. So she walks on over and is like, hey, Duke. And I do like how bad Duke is at flirting. Well, and because it's shocking. Yes. He didn't expect this. He just got his butt felt up by his new friend. And then suddenly the girl that he's liked for years likes him when he was just deciding he was going to call Viola. And he bumps his head into the gym equipment. And I think that's funny. That would really hurt. That would really hurt. And then so Vi Sebastian says... Don't you want to call uh, Viola? And Duke blows him off. She's like, no, 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 shush, 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 shush. Important busy man. And Vi Sebastian walks off and gives Duke a call as Viola. In the public gym space. But Sebastian just suggested that he give her his number. So, like, the idea is that in the five seconds since he said that, he sent right by Sebastian said here's the number call him immediately call him right now oh my god call him yes but then Duke obviously blows Viola off on the phone because honestly Olivia's getting a little bit too horny and is asking like oh you lift so much I'm this many pounds how many reps can you do with me and he hangs up the phone but he does say can I call you back I gotta change my feet good line accurate Good line. I like it. Olivia invites Orsino on a date to Cesario's, the pizza place from earlier, which we just find out is named Cesario's. I hate this. This sucks. I don't like this film. Quick, put in another name from Twelfth Night. Yep. And then Vi Sebastian is like, Olivia, can I talk to you? And it's like, ooh, I got by Sebastian jealous. And it's like, yeah, but for a different reason, because he's gay, except it's not that, because, you know, he's actually Viola and the whole thing. Yes, so by Sebastian tries to convince Olivia not to date Orsino, and in doing so, accidentally sets them all up on a double date with Eunice, who just happens to be running by. And somehow picked up on the location and time. Megan, and all are you that. questioning Eunice's power? You are correct. She is superhuman. 
Well, so Eunice is supposed to be... Mariah. Mariah. And Mariah is pretty on top of everything. I wish they made Eunice more like Mariah because... She'd be a freaking badass. Mariah stealthily is the most competent character, I think, in almost all of Shakespeare. So you know what? I think as Mariah, she did understand exactly when and where to meet. Got it. So then we got the double date at Cesario's. It is obviously clear that Olivia has no interest in Duke because Duke doesn't know how to talk to Olivia. It sucks because they're not talking at all and he's just sitting there. And then as soon as Vi Sebastian enters, then Olivia is suddenly paying Duke attention and saying that she was just having a talk with him. I'm like, it just sucks. I feel so bad for Duke. Eunice is wearing a really nice dress in this scene and she looks really pretty. Her hair is so curly. It's so good. And I like that we cut a little bit to Andrew and Toby talking and Andrew mentions that Eunice has got a little something going on now. I like this line. It cracked me up. But Toby is just like, you guys made fun of me when I said that she was pretty cute in science class. Screw you guys. I hate high school. hate high school. (laughs) Which I really enjoy. I think like that is one of the only moments that I truly love this movie is it's just screw you guys. I hate high school because I think it just like sums up high school movies and like all of these feelings going about. It almost sums up this whole movie up in a nice little bow. Just like I hate high school. Everything's way too complicated. Yes. So complicated that Vi Sebastian leaves, which of course means that Olivia leaves because what's the point in being here if Vi Sebastian's gone, leaving Duke alone with Eunice? Hey, they do have a good exchange because Duke pulls out the classic line, do you like cheese? More than almost every other animal pie product. (laughs) Eunice rules. I love Eunice. She may be too hot to trot. She might be a little bit too much. But listen, I appreciate her confidence. And like, she's living her life. No one's going to tell her that she can't do it. I would assume that Eunice lives a fulfilling life outside of the events of this film. I'm sure she gets good grades and she has a fulfilling social life. And I mean, she was the fortune teller in the carnival scene. So I'm sure she just is living her life. And she just, like, is a little bit horny. So the next scene, we just have a short little moment with Sebastian at the airport. It turns out that he's coming back from London. And he's going to blow everything because he leaves Monique a voicemail. He's like, I don't know if I told you, but I've been in London and I'm coming back one day early. I've been gone so long. We need to talk. So then we cut to a... Is this like a pre-ball dinner? It's like a rehearsal dinner for the debutante ball. Okay. So Vi is there as Vi. And now she knows that Olivia is part of this debutante ball thing. And so she just is staring Olivia down, which would be wild to Olivia if she just saw like this random girl like glaring at her. And Amanda Bynes is selling it. Oh, (laughs) God, she's so good. And she's like angrily eating. She's staring daggers like a knight that has just murdered a dragon and is like voraciously hungry. She's basically eating like a piece of mutton. Like it's like a big chicken, like turkey leg or I think something. It's just a chicken leg, but the maybe, way that she eats it. Maybe I'm just like making it bigger in my mind. You are. Because of how big she plays it. Yes. Oh, it's so good. And then her mother 
turns to her and goes, remember, honey, chew like you have a secret. <laughs> she gives a smile while she eats. <laughs> she, she gives a smile while she eats it in case you missed Megan's thing. I would like to state that Megan finds this oh so funny. I put this in while we were watching it that Megan is just cackling at this while I was sitting next to her. And as we are recording currently, Megan is very giggly. This might be the funniest thing for you in the movie. This is my favorite moment of this entire film is that face that she gives. And so then Olivia goes to the bathroom and so Vi decides to follow her, to have a talk with her. I just like to say I don't like girl hating girl stuff like over boys i just want to say this gives me such knives chow confronting ramona in the bathroom of scott pilgrim because when she's like hey ramona and ramona's just like hi yeah yeah that's because olivia has no idea what's going <laughs> yeah. on she's like wait you were that girl who s- saved, saved my me. ass yeah. thanks we're good friends and she's like yeah friends <laughs> Megan, I totally get that. I wish this was more like Legally Blonde, though, because Legally Blonde is all about, like, girls helping girls. Yeah, and, like, they hate each other at first, but then they realize, like, it's better if you work together. uh, Also, they're fighting over a shitty guy, and they realize that he's shitty. I mean, this guy's not a shitty guy, though. No, but I wish that they wouldn't fight over... Anything. A a guy. Like, it's not worth fighting over. Listen, ladies, gentlemen, and variations thereupon. A person that you like is not worth having a shitty, petty bathroom rivalry with someone else. It's not worth it. They either like you or they don't. And to be jealous of them liking someone else is petty and not worth your emotional energy. I just like to put that out there. Also, here's another moment where Vi loses points for Megan. Because... She's like, oh, Olivia, you're dating Duke. And Olivia's like, we went on one date. How does this get around? I mean, she's so popular and Duke's so popular, I guess. They are? I don't know. That's the thing. They imply that they're popular, but it's never like shown Shown. that they like are hanging out with a lot of people and stuff. Vi spreads this whole rumor to her that Duke has a salivary gland issue, so he's a terrible kisser and it's disgusting. And that's just really shitty of her and it makes me really upset because like rumors suck kids i don't know if you know that also don't make fun of someone for a medical condition yes but then olivia reveals that she doesn't even like duke (gasps) she likes sebastian (gasps) shock how will this fadge that's a line from 12th night that viola says which i just like and finally vi realizes that This is way more complicated. And so Vi tells Olivia, stop liking Sebastian. But she doesn't say stop liking Sebastian. She just says, girl, stop. You need to... Just come clean to both of them. Yes. And obviously, Olivia takes that as, okay, the next time I see Sebastian, I'm just gonna give him a big smacker on the lips, which A, do not kiss someone without their consent. Because that's what she's doing. Because she says, like, I'm just going to kiss him. I'm just going to walk right up to him and kiss him like no one has ever done. I don't care that he said that he only viewed me as a friend. I'm going to go up and lay a big one on him. But then it turns out that Monique has been in the stall this whole time, taking a (gasps) shit. 
And she's like, Sebastian! <laughs> and she goes, he's my boyfriend. Except not, because Except- they broke up. And Olivia goes, yeah, you were the one that got dumped in the pizza place, right? You just got one big dumping. Which, uh, is that a poop, poop joke? joke? I think I, so, because they're, they're in a bathroom. Yeah. But then they start brawling. It is honestly super violent. There are multiple, like, bashes against a porcelain floor. Then so- I'm just like, and then she dies. And then she dies. And, and then, then her head's cracked open and she dies. Uh, yep. There's no blood, though. The fight is loud. It is violent. The sound is peeling out into the debutante dinner. And they get kicked out. They get kicked out. But they're still welcome to come to the debutante ball. So it really didn't matter. You don't get to rehearse. I think that you'd be like, you need extra etiquette lessons. But no. So then we cut to the next scene in which Malcolm is trying to convince Horatio Gold that Sebastian is really... His twin sister, Viola. Right as Viola is on the phone and it's like, Hi, Mom. Yeah, I'm a girl. Girl, girl, girl. Wearing a dress. Girl, girl, girl. Like, right in front of them. High heels were invented by men to stop women from running away. And Horatio's like, Haha, joke implying I've worn high heels before. Okay. Viola's really bad at hiding things. Yes. She obviously just gave up on trying. She's like, I'm just gonna walk around campus. As Viola. Here's what I'll say. I do think that it is a bit of a good comedic bit that she spent so much time hiding it and like going through so many different moments where she could have been caught for her to just kind of blurt it out. But the movie does not deserve, nor is this joke warranted. It doesn't land. Nothing is done with it. Yeah, it doesn't land. She does it and they're just like, high heels are bad. And, And literally... Horatio Gold needs a little bit more proof before acting on it, which like, okay. And then it's nighttime and we see Duke coming back to the dorms on his motorcycle. Cool. Ooh, boy. Cool. But also here comes real Sebastian in a taxi. He's here. Oh, man. Look who was like waiting for the taxi. Yeah. Waiting for him to show up. Olivia comes down. But I don't know why Olivia was waiting there and knew exactly that that's where he'd show up. Anyway, comes up, kisses him, recites his lyrics to him, doesn't pay attention to the fact that his face looks Looks. pretty different, actually. And also his height is higher now. He's taller now. And is like, I'll see you at the game tomorrow. So, like, how did you know it was Sebastian if you didn't look at him? Well, you know, Vi Sebastian always returns home in a taxi, and no one else does. I'm always thinking of that 30 Rock joke where it's just like, I spoke to three people before you showed up. Like, what if she was like, I kissed like four people (laughs) before you showed up? But of course, Duke is watching and thinks that Vi Sebastian has betrayed him. Yes. And then in the next scene, Monique gets the voicemail, and they play the full voicemail. Again. Oh no, Sebastian's coming home early. We knew this as an audience. Yeah. And then we cut to Viola coming back to the room as Sebastian, and Orsino is mad at her, and this is exactly like 5-1 at the end of Twelfth Night, in which Orsino's like, husband, because... My husband's Cesario, and it's like, well, my name's Sebastian. But he's just like, husband, and he's like, what, husband? And then Cesario's like, I don't I'm not a husband. And so Orsino kicks Vi out because he's mad, 
and feels betrayed, which, honestly, he should. Yeah, fair. And this is where Marquez came to the realization of, man, this is nothing like Twelfth Night. You know what it's really like? The manga Hanakimi, in which a girl dresses up like a boy to play volleyball at a private boys' school. Yep, that's it. Because it is not like Twelfth Night, because this whole, I can't play my sport in the school I'm going to, so I have to dress up like a boy to play the sport I want to, is not a plot in Twelfth Night, and neither is any sort of... It's Hanakimi. It's Hanakimi. Read Hanakimi. Yep. That's it. That's it. That's what she's the man is. This is now a Hanakimi podcast. Yep. And so... Monique shows up, and she's like, Sebastian! And Duke opens the door and is like, I kicked him out. He's gone. Closes the door. And then Malcolm shows up. And Monique is like, I got a voicemail. And I think that something weird is going on. Oh, wait. And Duke is like, take Sebastian's phone. I don't want it. And then the phone rings. Oh, it's Justin being like, hey, baby, I want to be back with you. And she's just like, ew. Ew, this is Viola's phone. This isn't Sebastian's phone. And Malcolm opens up his door and is like, oh, ho, ho, welcome to the villains club. We're bad guys here. Basically, that is how the scene goes. And everyone is so surprised that all of this is going down, except no one, no one is. is. So Vi, Sebastian is sitting outside, sad, gonna sleep on a bench all night, no place to stay. And then Eunice does a little dance, just strides up. It's great. And then it sits next to Vi, Sebastian, and then Vi, Sebastian's like, man, I don't have a place to stay. And Eunice is like, you need a place to stay? You can stay with me. I'm so excited. I've never had a roommate. Which I don't know how. I mean, that happens in college sometimes where you accidentally get a single. But this is high school. I, I don't know. Maybe nobody wanted to room with her. Or maybe. Is she an RA? Maybe. We don't know. Because RAs get their own room. Maybe. Maybe. But like, you shouldn't be an RA your freshman year. Yeah. So she should have had a roommate at some Well, point. we don't know what her year is. Anyway. Well, maybe she has a medical condition. Anyway. Real Sebastian goes and sleeps in the room that he's supposed to be in with Duke. And he just goes... Oh, Vi, you set up everything as well. Awesome. I'm not going to question anything, which is... I told my sister to call the school. Instead, she went there and set up all of my things. The fact that Sebastian just rolls with a kiss, plus that his room is set up, is very Sebastian. I would just like to say... Himbo! Sebastian is the himbo in Twelfth Night, and this is all... Like, the fact that he goes along with everything is very accurate to the play. So I will give the movie that. And finally, we're here, the day of the big game. Go! Team! Wake up early, gotta get ready. Duke wakes up, looks over, sees his roommate Sebastian shirtless in bed, which has literally never happened, because Sebastian's never worn less than a hoodie with a shirt over it. Megan, here's the thing. I, like, I don't mean to be like this, but, like, I would notice if a person was never shirtless around me, because I would be like, oh, maybe they're just uncomfortable. And I would be at least a little bit weirded out that they finally took their shirt off. After I kicked them out, they came back shirtless. Yes. The person who says they're allergic to the sun and is therefore always fully covered. Yeah. Really quick. Monique and Malcolm go to Horatio Gold and he says, are you sure about this? And they go, yeah. Yeah. Eunice. Vi Sebastian wakes up and Eunice is just staring at her. And she says, 
I made you breakfast. And she just has a chocolate cupcake with a gummy worm on it, which is not breakfast. That is not breakfast. That is terrible nutrition. And, and you didn't make it. It's the day of the big game. You need a real breakfast. But really, Vi's more upset that Eunice didn't wake her. She's yeah. going to miss the game. She's late. She is late. And Sebastian is woken up by Toby and Andrew, throws a soccer ball at his head, and he's just like, what? What? Come on, you got to get ready. Game? Game? Oh, it's oh, what that girl who kissed me said. Sad. And he's just going along with it. For some reason, both of their parents are here. Both Vi and Sebastian's parents show up, which I don't know why. Horatio Gold called them. That's it. And okay. said, you guys need to come to your son's soccer well, game. I'm not explaining anything, though. It's dumb. Again, I would like to state that the tension of the discovery is never a plot point in Twelfth Night. I'm just going to say it one last time before we get into the ending of this movie. I do have to say I really appreciate, once again, the himbo energy of Sebastian, who's just like, oh, I'm going to the soccer game now? Oh, okay. I'm on the team. Oh, you're painting my face? Oh, okay. Oh, I put on this uniform? Okay. Oh, okay. I, I go play the game. Oh, okay. okay. First day at the new school, I guess. Yep. I put down in my notes, and I want to mention this out loud. Oh, if this is going to be a soccer montage, I give zero shits. Little did I know, we will come to how many times they show soccer montages. And I will tell you, listeners, it is more than one. The game begins. And we hear the announcer, and Marquez goes, who is that guy? Megan on her phone. Oh, he's from uh, Caleb Gallo. The Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo. Yeah. And then I realized it's Lenjamin. So if you haven't seen this web series and you're listening to our show, possibly because you're queer, I don't know. You should look it up. Yeah, it's a fun little, like, couple of half-hour sittings. It doesn't take that much time to get through the whole thing. And you get to meet Lenjamin. But he's the announcer here. And I just am astounded that I recognized this actor and was like, whoa. Same. Sebastian is terrible. Yes. Sebastian has never played soccer. So here's my question. You're Sebastian and Viola's parents, Marquez. Yes. Pick one. Doesn't matter. I will be the mother, for she is the better parent. You are their mother. You get a phone call that says, Hi, I'm the headmaster at Illyria High School. You need to come to your son Sebastian's soccer game. I would be like, our son Sebastian doesn't play soccer. That's Viola's deal. My son is a musician, not an athlete. Why is he part of the team? exactly they don't ask any questions they're no. like oh you're here too yeah they told me to come oh i had to cancel my squash game blah 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 complaining neither of them at any point is like since when does our son play soccer and he's terrible at it so they I really love, should be asking i love how bad he is at soccer he just kind of like walks up to the ball and is like kick he like squats down slightly to kick it like he feels like he needs to get closer to the ball to make sure he doesn't miss it's beautiful we also get montage number five of soccer, boys in soccer, and it is set to Dirty Little Secret by All American Rejects. A Best montage. It's a great song. It is used in every single teen comedy from like 2005 to 2009. I don't hate that it's part of it because it's a great bop. Also, like, it's about secrets and this whole it, movie's it makes about sense. secrets. 
Time for Secret Revealed, though. So thinks Horatio, Mr. And, Headmaster. And he is just going to out this person in front of the entire school. No, his plan is to force the person to out themselves in front of the entire school. That's wild. So he says, Sebastian isn't Sebastian. Sebastian is actually his sister Viola pretending to be him. Everyone's like, what? what? And then they go, you're a girl. And he goes, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. And Horatio won't believe him. Prove that you're a boy to me. So he just pulls down his pants and shows everyone his dick. Hmm. And everyone goes, wow, wow, what an amazing penis. Wow, that's my boy. Such a great penis. A giant penis on that child. Hmm, the penis. Wow, such penis. I declare a large penis on this child. <laughs> they don't go that far, Megan, but they do go there that are far. four, at least four. Four different ways of going, wow, he's hung. Well done. Eunice is like, soccer is the world's favorite sport. Which I do love. Is great. The father does say, that's my son. Or that's my boy. Weird. They want to make sure that you know that true Sebastian is fucking hung. And it's really gross to me. I hate this. I mean, it makes sense when you think about Shakespeare. Shakespeare does this shit a lot. I mean, this is not part of Twelfth Night. But another thing, Shakespeare's like, he's a pretty great dick. And things like that. But I, I don't like it. Megan, I'm, I'm looking at a note here. Yeah. That says, showing a penis is the Olivia's letter reveal of this film. Yep, that's what I wrote. Care to explain to me, Marquez, what this means? So in Twelfth Night. <laughs> yes. Malvolio is released from the jail where he's basically been tortured. Yes. And he is like, Olivia, you sent me this fucking letter. You had me jailed. What the hell? And Olivia goes, I didn't do that. In this film, Malcolm goes, this guy's a piece of shit. He took my girl. He's actually a lady. And he goes, no, I didn't. Here's my dick. And Malcolm is humiliated in front of everyone because Horatio is like, oh, sorry, everybody. Does the loudspeaker and is like, hey, Malcolm, you want to look at that dick and tell me you're an idiot in front of everyone? Yeah. So that dick is the reveal of Olivia's letter not being from Olivia of this film. Okay, I'm just going to accept that. Counselor, you made your argument. Back to the game. So it's another montage. Uh, This is montage six in this movie. This is the part of the movie in which I, Megan can attest, just started screaming, boys, boys and soccer and balls and sports and boys. I will say, though, I am more interested in these montages because they're doing like little kicky tricks than I was in any of the basketball parts of Prince of Wags. It was also just way better shot. They had way more money. Yes. So like I shouldn't compare them, but like at least this is a somewhat entertaining sports ball montage. Yep. And so during halftime, Vi finally calls Sebastian in and explains everything that's going on. It's like, quick, you got to change clothes with me. I need my uniform. And very much like Sebastian, Sebastian just goes along with the plan and then convinces the coach, you gotta let me back in. I know my voice is completely different now. I swear I've changed. Literally. You gotta let me in, coach. I'm Viola. However, Marcino is still mad at Vi Sebastian. 
So they're like, Vi's open, Vi could get a goal, because the score is 0-0 right now. Like, someone's got to get a goal. Yep. And Duke just tries to do it all himself and, like, won't pass it to Vi. Then a fight breaks out. They're fighting, and it's mad and angry. And I just am confused, because soccer is the sport where people pretend to be injured. They don't fight in soccer. No. you kidding me? It's not hockey. We have another montage because the fight just gets resolved and he's just like, if you want to fight, get off the field, but we're going to play soccer. America. Yep. And so then we have more boys and balls and sports and boys. Montage number seven. Another montage. We love it. I don't know if this is the one where Channing Tatum does the like flip throw into the court. It's unnecessary, but it looks cool, but it's completely unnecessary. And during a timeout, Vi finally decides to confront Duke about what's going on and why can't you trust me anymore? And because obviously this entire film was about Vi worrying about being caught, of course, she has to reveal herself in order to fix this relationship. Because obviously telling a person that you've been lying to them this whole time about who you were is exactly what's going to fix this relationship. Vi feels the need to do this because she's finally told by Duke why Duke's mad. And she's like, there's nothing between me and Olivia. And Olivia's like, oh my gosh, Sebastian, I love you so much. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? You just said there's nothing. You kidding me? So this is really 5-1. This is the true 5-1. Yep. So Vi goes... Fine. You know what? I need to tell you something. This is the truth about me. It's something I've been hiding for so long. It's tearing me up inside. And she takes off her wig. And wow, it's a girl. She's so beautiful. So I don't have any costume rant for this, except I really do because a wig is part of a costume. So here comes Megan's costume corner, where I complain about things I don't like in a movie that have to do with the costumes. So I cosplay. I have used many wigs in my day. Amanda Bynes' hair in this film, at this time in her life, is about as long as my hair is now. I know how difficult it is to, one, keep a wig on a head with that much hair. Two, put a wig on a head with that much hair. Three, fight a wig that is any amount shorter than your real hair while doing anything. Like walking, let alone vigorously sport playing. So here's my thing. We have been proven throughout this film, that Viola doesn't use any accessories for her wig. It is just a short wig that magically goes on her long hair. Her long hair is, one, not pulled back in any way. It is just long and flowing free. So she piles it on top of her head somehow, without a wig cap, which at that point would be absolutely necessary, and then puts a wig on it and doesn't attach it in any way. There are no combs in the wig. There's no glue, there's no tape, there is nothing. And yet, it never falls off during any of the escapades of running around the whole carnival or playing sports in a very active game of soccer. And like, she gets to this point and she has been wearing this wig. One, she wears it through the night and it doesn't come off. Do you just keep discovering new yes, things? Yes, as I'm talking, I'm figuring out more issues. She sleeps the entire night, so she must not move at all in her sleep, ever, at all. And her wig still looks realistic and correct when she wakes up in the morning. 
And she's been wearing this since last night. She hasn't gotten up to shower and like fix it this morning. So she was wearing it from at least probably yesterday morning through that day, through the night, quickly got ready for the game, started playing the game, took off the wig, and her hair is perfect and it's light and bouncy and shiny and looks nicely combed. She has no wig hair. She has no kinks in her hair. It is so unrealistic. And I know it doesn't matter at all. And I know, I know it means nothing to the plot or anything. And no one thinks that that's what's real. But it's so infuriating to me because, oh, she's got to look beautiful when she reveals herself to Duke. But, like, she should look kind of messy. Also, this has nothing to do with a wig, but, like, She's going to play soccer. She should probably put her hair back in a ponytail. So, so she reveals herself to everyone, explains the whole plot of the movie. Hey, just because you have long hair doesn't mean you're a girl. So she flashes her tits. You know, like in Twelfth Night, where it ends with a penis and tits being flashed. Yes, great. And so everyone just goes like, wow, okay, and... I do like that the parents are at least, like, somewhat embarrassed that both of their children flash themselves to the entire school on this day. And what's Duke's reaction? Well, you know what? It's like Coach says before every game. Every game he says this. Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great. Some achieve greatness. And some have greatness thrust upon them. You know, that line that is used to humiliate manipulate and completely destroy the feelings of a steward character this is the only overt reference to 12th night and it's used wrong it's used incorrectly i honestly don't dig channing tatum's delivery of it he could have taken like two more takes what is with teen shakespeare adaptations Using lines badly, like bad lines in the wrong scenario. Yeah, bad context for them. It's because, Megan, they don't care. Every time I go anywhere and I see this quote used, it's always like, shin up, buddy. Not, we're going to pretend that you have social mobility and you don't. Yeah. That is like an affluent person telling a poor person, hey, though, just believe in the system. And you can make money. You just got to put your nose to the grindstone and it will change things. Or like it is the equivalent of somebody saying like, wow, this person got their civil rights violated. And they're like, well, they should sue. You're valued less as a person than another person. And that's what is being told to Malvolio is the lie of just like, well, some achieve greatness and some have greatness thrust upon them. Obviously, you can move up the social ladder. But the thing is, you are born in a certain social standing and it is very rare, even in today, that you're going to shift your social standing. And that's what that line is mocking. And is- above that, it's supposed to be Olivia telling him that, which is giving him the hint of, I will help you change your status because I'm in love with you. Yes. It's not only you have the possibility of it, it's I have the power to give this to you and don't be afraid of it because it's going to happen for us. But besides all that, besides all that, how in any way, shape, or form does this help you win at sports? Some are born great. Cool. Some have natural talent at sports. Some achieve greatness. 
well, you got to practice and then you're good at sport. Some have greatness thrust upon them. Come on, Sebastian, put on this uniform and confusedly kick the ball around. How great. How is that supposed to help you win? That's not an affirmation of your current ability to beat the other team. That is saying, well, some people are good at sports. Some people can become good at sports. And some people are forced to become good at sports. So. Here's my other thing. We saw this game start. Coach didn't fucking say this. No, he didn't. We hey. saw the coach's pep talk before no. the game. He didn't say this. And you know what he said? Go kick kill, which is a much better... Born great. Go. Achieve, Achieve greatness. greatness. Kick. kick. Oh. Greatness thrust upon them. Kill. kill. Actually, that kind of works. <laughs> so then... The other coach, big sexist bad coach that we met in the beginning from Cornwall. Oh, from Cornwall, is like, she can't play. She's got tits. She's a girl. She can't play. That's illegal. And then the other coach is like, we don't discriminate based on gender, which I said at the beginning. And he rips the rule book in half. First off, I'm sorry, but the rules do apply for the whole league. This isn't a, the rule book doesn't say dogs can't play basketball. I'm pretty sure that there's a rule about divisions and gender. I am so sorry. It sucks. It but sucks. Like, if the whole league has to do it, then like. Like the game wouldn't count. Yeah. Which sucks. Don't get me wrong. And like you could use this game as like make an example to the league that they should change that rule. Yes. But the rule is still there. Second of all, even if she is a girl and allowed to play. She is still not the person who is enrolled in Illyria Academy. Yeah, I don't think you can play for a team that you're not in the school of. Yeah, I think that that's more of a bigger issue. I know we're nitpicking, but I think it's very funny to bring up. of just like, uh, she doesn't go here, sir. Wild. But we get another montage of boys in sports and one girl. There's one final goal because she gets like a penalty shot or something. Yes. Well, because they check her because they're like, oh, if she's a girl and she thinks that she can play with I'll the boys. I'll murder her. Yes. It's one of those things where it's just like, well, we're not supposed to hit girls. That's unfair. It's like, just say you want to hit girls. So, so she gets a penalty kick, which would win them the game. And Justin's being an asshole. Because he's the goalie. He's the goalie. And he's just like, what, are you going to shoot it right there? I'm in your head. I'm uh, in your head now. The goal's so small and I'm so big. And I'm just like, this is weird. This is weird. But this is, Megan, obviously the goal that will solve feminism. <laughs> and then she kicks it and it bounces off the thing. And someone else kicks it to her. And then she shoom, kicks it in the other corner. And they win. Wow, everyone's happy. The whole world is happy. The parents are happy. The parents are like parent trapping themselves. Yeah, they're like, like we're going to get back together just because we spent time together. Basically, Horatio accidentally parent trapped their parents for them. I would also like to state that Andrew's last name is in fact Ague Space Cheek. They don't mention it in the film, but Marquez really wanted to know, so he specifically paused it when Andrew's back was turned just to figure out what his last name was. It is Ague Space Cheek. Olivia runs up and she's like, what then? Who did I kiss last night? And it's like, oh, it's my brother. Where is he? 
Horatio's like, he's probably run all the way because he showed his ding dong to everyone. He's like, actually, I'm right here. Please make out with me again. And so they're together now because apparently Olivia honestly doesn't care. She just wants to date this person. It's the same thing, but backwards of earlier. Yeah. This is even worse because she's never spoken with him. Yeah. At she least. made out with him one time and is like, let's date now. Listen, it's bad in Twelfth Night. It's bad in here. At least in Twelfth Night, I like to think they had a whole night together. Yeah, they did. So, like, they probably talked. Yep. We also get Eunice and Toby getting together. And they moan their way down to the ground. Weird. And Vi looks to Orsino. They just won the big game. He walks away. He walks away, which is fair. Hell yeah. I hope that they don't get together at the end of this movie, man. I'm sorry, Marquez. I know. So, time passes. Sebastian enters his dorm room with a big box and says, this is from Viola. And Duke looks at it, opens it up. And what is it? It's a big old wheel of Gouda. That wheel of Gouda probably costs at least $80. That's a huge wheel of Gouda. And it's like, not cheap looking Gouda. Like, even if it's not super high quality Gouda, just the size of it, it would have to be around $80 at least. What would you do if somebody gave you a cheese wheel that big? Uh, if I wasn't dating them or their very good friend, I would honestly probably be weirded out because that's a lot of money to spend on someone that you're not actually close to. If I was close to them, I would marry them the next day. We get to, finally, what everyone's been waiting this entire movie for. I've been waiting for it. I'm like, I mean, when are they gonna get to it? You did say that you're her mom. Oh, you're right. We're at the debutante ball. It turns out that Paul Antonio, <gasps> he's supposed to be our Antonio stand-in. <gasps> he never speaks to her brother Sebastian. Nope. And okay. he's going to walk by... For the debutante ball, which is very nice of him. Yeah, because you have to be escorted, introduced, whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, with a boy. Yeah. Vi says, I need to get some air. So she goes for a walk. First, though, her mom goes, I got you the perfect dress. And it is not ruffly and it's not too girly. She, like, actually tried really hard to get a dress that Vi might actually like. Oh, I didn't remember yeah. that. That's nice. It is nice. But then she's like, thanks, mom. I'm going to go for a walk. So she goes for a walk and she thinks that a shadow is Orsino and she's so excited. And she talks to him like, I didn't think you were going to show up. And it turns out it's just some groundskeeper guy. And he's like, I need to turn the sprinklers on. His body shape is nothing like Channing Tatum's. <laughs> no. She should recognize that this giant figure that looks nothing like a teen boy is not a teen boy. It's not a teen boy. Then she turns around after talking to this guy in Orsino standing there. It's like, why did we need this joke? It wasn't funny. It like, would be funny if like he laughed or something. Like if he reacted to her doing that. Yes. Then I'd be like, oh, it's an endearing thing that he saw that happen. And he's happier now. But he's just like, hi. So I wish he'd reacted. But also, it's in a nice little suit. It's nice. Duke talks to Vi about how he really fell for this girl named Viola that he spent like no time, no time with, with and, and doesn't mention how he had a connection with Sebastian because in Twelfth Night it is very clear that Cesario and Orsino have a connection and it's very gay and then when it's like I'm actually a lady 
He's like happy. He's like, oh, thank fuck. I thought I was gay. He did Mulan. Yes. Orsino's like, thank Jesus. Okay, I'll tell you then. I like you. Yes. Because I was not ever going to tell anyone in the world that. Yep. So this is way less queer. It's way straight. The whole development of their relationship is way too straight. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And Duke tells Vi, everything would be a lot easier if you stayed a girl. Which is pretty similar to Orsino's line, but when other habits you are seen, Orsino's mistress and his fancy's queen, which is the last line in Twelfth Night. But that's supposed to be like, you can remain Cesario until we get your clothes back, which kind of also affirms the identity while also making it not affirming because yeah. it's it's a weird like I mean it was the 1600s yeah. trans identities weren't that clear and we didn't have the language for them back yeah. then but it's like hey well, as soon as you get in your lady clothes you're my wife yes but this is 2006 and uh they could have been queer yeah so we go back to the ball and everyone's getting introduced now it's yep. all happening so we get Justin and Monique, because they were two shitty people. So they suck. First. Sebastian is walking Olivia down. They're obviously madly in love, even though they just met. And then they're like, okay, time for Viola and Paul. But wait. That's Duke Orsino. And they're just making out on the stage yeah. now. But then they walk forward. And everyone's clapping. And I'm like, just so you guys know, pretty sure that's a breach of etiquette. That PDA. That's not very debutante of you. That's not really cash money of you. That's really not cold hard cash money of you. And then as they're walking, like they pass Andrew and like Paul puts, I think it's his number in Andrew's front pocket. And it's supposed to imply that maybe they're going to get together. But this movie's way too straight to insert. And like like, Andrew's been like chicks the whole movie. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't no. make any sense. I didn't even see it. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. As a closeted man, when I first watched this movie, I definitely noticed that. And I know it now. And it's weak. And then we end the film with another montage. Wow. They play soccer together. They like each other. To another All-American Reject song. Move along. They're moving along with moving their along lives. along with their lives. They're playing soccer together and kissing. And then the film ends. We're that's, done. That's it. They got together. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my pre-final thought. I really enjoy this film. I like it less when I think of it as Twelfth Night because it doesn't hit the mark. But on its own, I don't want to say this is a bad film because it's not. It's just not Twelfth Night. And like, there are definitely some things like with queer coding and like just queerness in general that this film really misses the mark on now that we're older and time has passed but also when i watch this film i'm just like shit man i wouldn't have had the balls to make this film like three years after bend it like beckham freaking came out megan it's couching like they're just like oh here's the thing that did real good but i'm like Bend It Like Beckham's a good movie yeah it's better than this i want to watch bend it like beckham right now my thoughts, this film is, in my opinion, the least connected to the source material of anything that we've covered on our podcast. Yeah. Uh, somebody who knows Twelfth Night very well, this is surface level and just the concept of a girl dressing up like a boy. And then throwing in a bunch of names. Yes. 
I dislike it for that. Like you said, when you think of it as Twelfth Night, it doesn't work. I think that the whole thing feels like it is this close to being a queer movie. And then the entire culture that was the mid-aughts prevents it from being a queer movie. You think of characters like the gay kid in Mean Girls that is completely asexual. You are told that he is gay and that he is just is a support character for your main character. And but like everyone else in that film is horny as hell. Yes, but except he for except him. for him. That's kind of what this movie is. And I honestly think that if you don't have any queer, really queer aspect of a Twelfth Night adaptation, I don't think you're doing it right. I think that there needs to be some sort of gender confusion, sexuality confusion, like something queer that needs to be there because the play, I think, is dealing with a lot of that, that I don't think that She's the Man has the capability of doing so. However, I think that Amanda Bynes is delivering a good performance here. Yes. I think that Channing Tatum is delivering a serviceable performance here. Yeah. And despite a few things, I think that they work in the comedic roles. I don't think the jokes are that good. I think that there is something in this movie that makes people like it. I don't know what it is. I don't really like this movie. I think it's not that good, but I completely understand. I also think it is something that if you watched it when you were the right age, it is a part of your childhood and therefore you're like, I like this. I don't know why, but I like this. Here's what I think Shakespeare would say about that. Tis not so sweet now as it was before. Megan, what would you rate She's the Man? I would rate She's the Man two confused best friend characters out of three seconds of the greatest character, which is Malvolio the Tarantula. And what would you rate She's the Man? I would rate She's the Man six out of twelve nights. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here on Avant Bard. I would like to thank the audience for tuning in. If you liked what you heard here, you can follow us on all social media platforms at AvantBardPod. And if you really, really liked what you heard here today, you can support us on Patreon.com slash AvantBardPod. And until next time, we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at avantbardpod.